up again, and this is what it's like. Take two, take three, take four. That's what we're doing. This is TV, people. Okay. We're on set, people. Two. One. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Black Tea Podcast. My name is Deirdre Robinson, and I am representing a group of women who are cross-generational and have ideas and perspectives on specific topics. That's what we're here for today. I'm, we are based out of San Francisco Bay Area. One of our members um, who's joining us uh, virtually, who is absolutely from the Bay Area, don't get it twisted, home of the Golden State Warriors, is now relocated to Florida and will always be a part of our family. So I'm gonna begin by saying that we are at the Daily Desk. The Daily Desk is located in Fairfield, California, and it allows people to come in and have workspace on a day-to-day -day basis. Sean is the person that you definitely want to see, so the Daily Desk, may we offer cheers to Sean and the Daily Desk yes, today. Yes, yes. All right, thank you. Um, again, my name is Deirdre Robinson, and I want to share with you what's in my cup today. Today is the day before Father's Day. And I'm honored to uh, talk today with this beautiful panel of women about what's going on with our fathers and how it impacts our relationships. Kudos to my dad who is 91 this month. And so I'm going to ask the question of you. Carla, what's in your cup today? I'm just doing some events with the family this weekend. My daughter's coming in from Atlanta and that's what's in my cup today. I'm Carla from, from um, Fairfield area. What's in your cup? That's the theme for today's episode. We want to begin with that. So Janelle, you want to start by telling us what's in your cup today? Yes. Well, in addition to the mocha, we're also going to be having a major topic of discussion, especially with this upcoming Father Father's Day holiday. So ladies, we're discussing our relationships with our fathers, our father figures, any male figures that you've had in your life, what your experiences have been like. So first question, and be honest, do you believe women date men like their fathers? A hundred percent. Why a hundred percent? A hundred, because your, your dad, your dad, or whatever male figure you had in your life that may or may not have been your dad is the first man or masculine-like figure that you fall in love with, regardless of your gender, gender identity, or sexual identity. Like, that's your first protector, provider, all of those things. And it shapes what you expect from men if you happen to be heterosexual and cisgender. It definitely has, for me. Um, yeah, I didn't really have a very uh, consistent relationship with my dad. And so I ended up for years attracting a lot of very inconsistent men or men that would ultimately leave as he did. Um, I had to do a lot of therapy and coaching and work on myself and I still have to do work on myself to be mindful of that pattern because that pattern is very, can be very unhealthy and destructive if you're not aware so but um you also I also attract men that are funny because he was funny he had an amazing sense of humor 
Um, he used to laugh at the most ridiculous and mundane and often immature things all the time. And I always happen to attract men that are funny or cynical or very intelligent and intellectual. So it's not always good or bad. It's just what it is. Interesting. Yes. But I guess, so the concept, but do you, and this is what I've learned because I've just, I did a little bit of researching on it. From a scientific perspective, and this is just from the men's point of view too, because oftentimes they'll say men date women that remind them of their mothers. Oh yeah. But I don't know. I, I just feel like I'm on the cuffs of this in the, in the sense that, well, we share the same dad and obviously we had the same experience, but I also had other male figures in my life growing up. So like, for instance, my grandpa is probably even more of a father figure to me than maybe even our own dad. Yeah, that's true. But why is it for some reason I still have a tendency to date, like you said, the guys who are unavailable? Although I had somebody present in my life who was there for me. What is like what is the correlation with that and what's that about? I could answer that, but I want to hear other people's view on that. I have an answer for you, but okay. I wanna open it up to see what other people think. Do I believe women date men like their fathers? That's an interesting question. I think it, I can only speak from my perspective, um, but I, given that I'm part of the, what is it, baby boomers? Yes, you are. <laughs> I don't really have a lot of memories, really, of my relationship, my close relationship with my dad in the beginning. Oh, he was around. My dad was present up until I was uh, about nine when my parents got divorced. So, I guess maybe unconsciously, I've always dated men. My dad was a hard worker. He was in the military, um, did 20 years, retired. You know, so I've always dated men for the most part that had something going for them. I think that's because that just was my image of what a man did. You know, they worked and they came home and they took care of their family. Uh, Thinking now, though, just right now, my dad was also an alcoholic. He was a functioning alcoholic for 20 years in the military. So in some respects, maybe he was detached a little bit. I don't remember that because I just don't remember it. But there's a lot of things I think that we don't remember that happened to us as children that have an impact on us years later, yeah. especially things that happened before you were um, five and under. Because they tell you that your formative years, based on the research, our formative years and things that we... Uh, follow and do usually are by the time we're five. It's interesting that right. it, it, it's so crazy though when you think about it because for most people they don't remember a lot about their life until after they're five. But the research suggests that we have developed our, our, our most formative years age from the time you're born to age five yeah which is very interesting if you read any child development book that's true okay but so why is it i don't know i'm just taking it from a research perspective because that's just how I, that's how why i was a child development major when i was younger okay i haven't looked at any recent research but i imagine it's the same thing i don't know mm -hmm. why, because it's just you're like a sponge at that age and you really absorb a lot of things but i do believe as you get older things change too because then you get start to think independently but i'm just saying maybe now, since for this question is being posed, maybe that's why I've always, you know, uh, attracted men that were working, that were available. Because my dad did work and he was available, but they were, but the men I have attracted 
were somewhat detached, though, even though they did all that. Maybe that has to do with the fact that that's how my dad was. I don't know. I don't remember. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I would have to say yes and no. Um, because from my perspective, um, my biological father wasn't in my life very much. Um, my mom actually married my stepfather when I was about eight or nine. Okay. So um, from my perspective, there wasn't um, very much an active presence of a male figure in that respect. So for me, it's more so um, looking for men that I desire to be replace that father figure in a sense. So my experience is more trying to find uh, being with men that are more responsible, more work oriented, um, want to make sure that they're taking care of the household because for me, it was more of um, an abandonment complex. So I was searching for men that would be present and be there. So I think that some women look for what they desire or what they were lacking with um, when it comes to that, that father figure and that um, dynamic. Good perspective. Yes, I agree. But it is interesting that you said you had a stepfather and you still yeah. felt like you were kind of on the cusp because that's how I've been feeling, like where I had some good dating experience and then some bad Yeah. Um, for, for me, it was my relationship with my father growing up was very, um, very um, con conflicting, I guess yeah. you could say, because, you know, he didn't come into my life until I was about eight or nine. And from my perspective as a child, I feel like I have to protect my mother and my sister. And for a young child to feel that way, it's it can cause a complex of authority. And so from my perspective that young, I feel like he's coming in, basically taking my place, you know? Wow. And so, and being that he wasn't very um, present emotionally, um, there was a very interesting dynamic there, and there was a lot of tension in the household. And my mother would have to, you know, be the middle person to kind of effectively communicate how I feel with what he feels. And so it was, it was tough. Mm -hmm. I'm going to reach back around to that subject because that's going to lead us into the next question. But um, you want to give us your perspective? Do you believe that women date men like their fathers? That is interesting, and as I listen to all of my sister's responses, um, they, I share some similarities in that our fathers were all in the military. Mm -hmm. The life of people in the military is not a family-oriented environment. Really? I've always thought it was the opposite. <laughs> now, their focus at the time that our fathers participated in the military, and that would include Carla, as well, because her dad was in the Air Force and her husband was in the Air Force too, is that the military is only focused on the military and what's good for getting their employees from point A to point B. If your dad had to leave or couldn't be there because of an event, or, you know, my dad served during uh, the Vietnam War, my dad flew missions during the day, sometimes they called it TDY, he was in the Air Force. So therefore, he was gone a great deal of the time. And what I found was that I was looking for my father, who was present in my life and still is at the age of 91. But 
He wasn't there to teach me how to have a relationship with men. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother did that, right? But then I look at the dynamic of my mother as well. A very strong 90-year-old <laughs> that has formed her own opinions and her opinions she feels should be my opinions as well. But what it also taught me is that when I'm looking for my father, I can't behave like my mother. Mm. Mm -hmm. If I, I can't behave like my mother, she's from a different generation and they have a different perspective. I've moved into another generation that requires a whole new different set of rules and I have no mentor. So I would come back and as I was dating, I would ask, my, my dad would say, well, why did you choose him? Oh, he reminded me of you. He would say, oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> he, he's not dad, like dad, me. Daddy didn't remind him. Well, it didn't, but from what I saw of my father, Correct. from the time that I spent with my father, Correct. and I'm not saying, I, I don't feel that I missed anything okay. as far as growing up was concerned, even though he wasn't there all the time at the dinner table and my mother was responsible for the household and the dinner and the dog and the, everything that was involved. And every last one of us, either you were the mother mm -hmm. or you were the child in that experience because that's what the military does. Um, they didn't care if I had surgery or had to have a tooth pulled or had a bad dream that night they had a mission to take care of and their focus was on the mission which was the protection of the democracy in the country and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But it is interesting that you ask, did I look for uh, someone unbeknownst to you? Unbeknownst to me, I was looking for someone like my father and didn't find someone like my father. But I also found that I have a tendency to think that they're not coming back. Mm -hmm. That's the trauma yeah. that I bring. It's like my dad being gone for us for so long or for long periods of time, not a day trip, not a week trip, but you're gone for 90 days, yeah. come back for a week or two. You're gone for another 60 days, come back, spend a year in Vietnam where we didn't have mobile phones. We didn't have cell phones. That's true. He used to communicate to us on reel-to-reel -reel tapes, and that could take months to get to us. So we heard his voice and he would always address us, you know, in his messages. And as a first and second grader, you know, I'm thinking everybody's life is like this. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking everyone's life is like this, but I do think that I am always worried that they're not gonna come home or that you're leaving. Or if something changes, the dynamic in the relationship are you coming back? Mm -hmm. Will you be here? You know, I so. can understand that, but that's crazy. I never thought about that mm -hmm. from somebody who has a father in the military. Cause I always consider them the military to be very family oriented, but I never thought about the perspective of the child yes. and what that relationship with their father is going to be like. And with other men that they date going forward or with, um, let's say if it was a guy and his mom's gone mm -hmm. away and he's in the her, his mom is in the military, what his relationship with women going forward is going to look like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. It is. But so to me, it has to do everything. Right. But it does vary from first, I, I think from military children, um, from one child to the next. My father did not do a tour in Vietnam, 
So he was there. He was present, you know, up until I was 10, like I said. Maybe I was 9 when my parents were divorced. But I just really don't remember too much about, I mean, I loved my dad. I mean, I don't, I, it's just something I never really thought about, you know, mm -hmm. until now in terms of how my 10 years with my biological father would have affected my relationship with men. It's interesting. That, that was a question that I guess maybe I never really thought about it. Well, now that we've had, and let's get Carla's opinion on that. For sure. Yeah. Um, I definitely think my relationship with my dad, now looking at it, um, has affected um, my romantic life and dating, mm -hmm. um, my marriage. Um, I had a good relationship with my dad. Um, and we did a lot of things together. He was very responsible in our family, um, very loving father. And um, he was military. I never saw him. He never left us for a tour. Um, but my husband did. Um, so I do see uh, military life. It does affect the family. Mm -hmm. you know? um, but yeah, I do see um, just my relationship with my dad. It did affect as far as, you know, wood. Because uh, my dad worked a lot. So I, want, I do look at relationships and wonder, you know, are they going to be there emotionally? Will they be present? Right. Mm -hmm. That's what I look at. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how that affected me. Going yeah. forward. Will they be, will they be present? Mm -hmm. Yeah, same here. Same here. Yeah. Just trusting that they'll be present. Right. Yeah. But I do want to, so I want to piggyback off of, Brittany was talking about something where she said she felt like she had to protect her mom. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I yeah. felt, I grilled both of their boyfriends if they came over to them every time. But I think that's interesting that when there's not a masculine presence there, that you somehow, somebody ends up taking on that. And oftentimes we would trade places taking on that masculine role. Especially my mom, like she'd be the one to grill a guy that came over to pick me up or something like that. But that's crazy that you brought that up. Yeah, hmm. and that kind of goes back to your original question was, why do I, why do I feel like I'm on the, the cusp? The cusp. So even, and this is just a theory that I have. I'm not saying it's true or that there's any scientific basis for it. So your biological parents are your biological parents forever. You can't change it. And you actually have a spiritual connection to them that is impenetrable. So even if you have other father figures, that's great, but it's never going to replace your biological parents. That's why so many kids that are in foster care right now still have trauma, still have pain, because knowing that the person that brought you here isn't actually here to carry you through this life is a tremendous amount of pain to carry. And unless you've experienced it, you're you don't know what it's like. And if you have experienced it, you have to accept that that's just the reality. It doesn't make it good or bad, it's just what it is. Everybody wants to know that whoever brought them here loves them and cares about them. True. Both people that brought them here love them and care about them. And if they don't know that, you're always gonna wonder. You're never gonna say it out loud, but you're always gonna wonder deep down in your spirit, why, why do I feel off? Why do I feel unworthy and incomplete? Why? I'm a whole person. I'm here. I have a divine purpose. But why do I feel like something's missing? But why missing? do the people that brought me here, why is one of them missing? It's always going to feel off. 
T-shirt. And the only thing, unfortunately, that you have to do and that you can do as an adult is love yourself through it the best way you can. But it's not easy. Yeah, yeah. So do you guys feel like you were well father daughters or poorly father daughters? Mm -hmm. I feel like I was a well father daughter. I mean, from the time that I spent with my dad and um, <laughs> the role that he played, mm -hmm. the role that he played in the family. I was listening to Carla because I felt that my dad loved us and provided well for us and still does. And still being a father, you know, to make sure that we have what we needed. Um, and I think the, the more vulnerability that my father is able to display with me as he's aged, because that machoism when you age, it just kind of declines. Yeah. Slowly, you can just see it kind of mm -hmm, changes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And seeing him now makes me feel like I'm seeing him raw, like who he really, really is. And I know even more so that he really, really cares for his family. And he's, you know, is everything okay? And are you okay? And am I okay? And is this okay? And, you know, um, it's confusing to watch your parents age, but I feel blessed to have them here. But that also, it's interesting that you say that because then it wants, it gets me an idea of let's break down what we consider to be good fathers. Like, is a good father a protector or provider? Oh, yeah. That's where I was confused. Is it just somebody who gives you money? What is poorly fathered versus well fathered? Right. right. I don't that's a good one. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that's, that is so interesting because you can have a father that's in the home with you. Right. And still never the love. And right. still not be validated by him as your father. Right. That's right. And, you know, when I did a little Google research when I was looking at these questions and mm -hmm. it was interesting. Some the things that came up on Google was that the intimacy of your relationship with your father determines really how if you're going to be as a woman in terms of your confidence, your self-esteem, yeah, your empowerment. Mm -hmm. And so even though you, we may have had father's presence, some of us, it didn't mean that they were actually actively involved in fostering those kind of characteristics right. either because they might have been too involved in what they were doing. They didn't even know that that was part of their role. That's right. You know, there are some fathers who are much more active with their children oh, than let's I say that I can remember that my dad was, for example. And some of the people that we may think that are not, well, I mean, I may think that are not the best fathers, but when I look about what, what they do with their kids, I'm thinking of someone personally. They spend a lot of time with their kids. I mean, they go to the park, they play, they watch TV. They're really involved and at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And a lot of fathers don't do that. That was one thing I did always admire about your guys. I was going to say, I'll we were at the park all day. I'll tell you guys, <laughs> I used to, I used to envy your dad. Our dad was a big kid. I did. I envied your dad <laughs> in terms of the relationship. I envied the relationship that your dad had with you guys mm -hmm. versus the relationship that oh, how my kid's father had with Megan and Celeste. Great father. Don't but do you think that's generational too? I think it was a generational thing because, of course, Paul was a little bit older. He was much older, right? definitely. Because mm -hmm. I was envied their relationship with Paul. Yes, yeah, but the relationship was present. no way as intimate as your relationship right. that you guys had with your dad the right. first, yeah, the first three to four years. years. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I mean, your dad, would, I can remember taking you over there yeah. and he loved to he do arts and crafts. He, you know, he was just really involved. And according to the research, that involvement really sets the, the, um, 
the tone of empowering you as a person because yes. you knew you were loved. He he validated you. He 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 uh, made you strong. Made you feel strong at that time. Yeah, you know because he was involved. And they say fifty percent, <clears throat> a good father relationship. Fifty percent of the women are more likely to marry someone who is like their father if they have a good father relationship. And again, like you said, what is a good relationship? What the way that? I gather is that is the intimacy of that relationship because your father can be present right like megan celeste's father was present, present but he didn't do those things that i saw that your father did right. he didn't build a bomb no i mean he did it his own way he did it maybe because it was a generational thing yeah I mean, you know he was what three times you know what older you know so and not you know in terms of age he right. came from the um He's actually a silent generation. The silent generation. Yeah. He would be considered the silent generation. And now. they were the type that yeah. would just like to provide for their families. Yeah. Work hard. Work hard. You know, we did our annual vacations. Right. Probably all remember where we, where did we always go? Anybody remember? Where did you guys always go camping? camping. We always oh, just go camping. camping. That's right. That was, yeah. he was off in the close. summer. He was off in the summer. We would go to Yosemite. Right. You know, we'd go to L.A. Those were, summertime was the time. Yeah. Wintertime, he was working. You know, he, you know, I did all the parenting then. You know, he's busy <laughs> doing his work, you know, taking care of what he needs to. But that was his generation's definition of a good father. Right. Yeah. So it does change. From generation to generation. Think about yeah. it. Because so, I do believe fathers now, mm -hmm. for the most part, a lot of them are much more actively involved. But I think yes. that's, yeah. be, that's be, well, I know I can speak on our generation. It, because there's so many kids in our generation that did not have fathers present in the household, or if they did, it was our situation where it was very right. temporary. They're making up for it, right? They're trying to make up for it because they don't want to have, they don't want their kids to go through what they went through. So they're heavily active. You're right. I think yeah. that that is a that is And I think true. that's a good thing. And I think... I don't know, this question is so interesting. Well-fathered. <laughs> Well-fathered. Yeah. So I, well, it reminds me of this joke that like Chris Rock always makes about like what a dad's number one responsibility is. Keep your daughter off the pole. So you have So in that respect, yes, I'm a well-fathered daughter. I had enough sense to not do that. Right. And I'm not dissing anybody who does. I'm not at all dissing anyone that does get on the pole because there's lots of societal reasons why women do that, and it's not a diss. But I. Can I say that I got everything I absolutely wanted and needed from my dad? No. I would be lying if I said that. There were a lot of things that I didn't get that I wished I would have gotten that mm -hmm. I needed, that I did not get. From, not just from my dad, but from many of the father figures in my life. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like a, a dad's number one responsibility, in addition to quote unquote keeping you off the pole, is to help you to develop a sense of healthy self-esteem and exactly. self-worth. To empower you, that's exactly And even if your mother does it for you, which you did a really good job, mm -hmm. It's different when it's coming from the masculine part that brought mm -hmm. you here. It's a, it's a whole, because their number one job is to protect you. And I felt like I always had to protect myself. This because so I true. didn't have a sense of what protection was supposed to look like or feel like mm -hmm. when it came to dating, when it came to any sort of relationship. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know. And I had to figure it out the hard way. And it was extremely painful. <laughs> Still is sometimes. But... Um, but I, so, so I think in that respect, was I well-fathered? No, um, because I had to learn a lot of that on my own and I didn't really have anyone to, any masculine be, like people to teach me or to guide me. Um, I think the blessing is that along the way, 
like God and my ancestors made sure that I had a lot of other men outside of the men in my family to teach me. Even if it was teaching through a bad experience, it was mm -hmm. still teaching me something. Mm -hmm. um, and now I've done a lot of, I guess, self-work to really understand the masculine journey and to understand where my purpose is in relation to that. And so I don't, I don't label my dad as a poor father because he, he gave me what he could, right. you know, and, and I'm sure if he could have given me more, he definitely would have. So I don't look at that as a measure of how much he loved me or cared for me. Um, do I think he was ready to be a dad? No. <laughs> I don't think he had the maturity to be a father. Um, I think that he did the best that he could with what he had. Um, I think there were certain things that he gave me that I still appreciate, which is having a good sense of humor, being creative, thinking outside the box. He always used to help me with art projects all the time. Like, he was that fun dad. Like, you know, and I still carry that part of him with me mm -hmm. wherever mm -hmm. I go. Um, but I, I do, but I, I do think that there's a lot of what it means to be a good father that's often mislabeled and not well understood, right? Because like you said, Debbie, a lot of it was like, you need to be a protector and a provider. Right. But a lot of that, I think, for hundreds of years, men just thought that it was just like money and resources. Mm -hmm. And yes, those things are important because they do provide a certain sense of safety and protection that like women and children need. Mm -hmm. So they don't take on that masculine role. But the problem is you also have to protect spiritually. Mm -hmm. You have to protect emotionally. You have to protect in a lot of other ways. And I feel like... You have to empower your daughters. Yeah, and, and you have to empower them to be, right. to, to, to be strong and to take right. risks. Exactly. You know... And, and, but a lot of that kind of boils back to self-esteem, you know, because I think men are supposed to um, affirm their daughters so right. that they have the strength and the self-esteem to take risks and to know who they are at a very early age. Because otherwise the world's going to try to tell them who they mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. um, and there were a lot of times where I almost fell prey to a lot of that because I really didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think, I think what... I think the bigger question is, what does a good community of men who raise children look like? Because yeah. I don't think fathering should just be on one man. No. I, think, I think we have to like rethink what, what this whole poorly versus well-fathered thing means. Because I don't, I don't think you can get all of it just from one man or just from your biological dad, even if he's the greatest dad in the world. I just don't. Yeah. You think you need I a, think it has a, to be a community yeah. of men who are leading and protecting all of the children in their community, which is how it used to be a long time ago. But if we yeah. talk about, if I could, yeah. and I want to bring Britt and Carla yeah. into this as well but there's a big every time someone says something about that question that you just asked Janelle what comes back to me is what the experience is of having a black male father and there are some systematic situations that may have contributed to their inability to be present. Mm -hmm. um, Most definitely. And it's yeah. not just, and it's, and it's generational, and, and we know what some of those things are, we experience them. But I always, I remember at some point in my life, 
even after going through divorce, that I said that I will never, ever publicly criticize or complain about what I refer to them as black men mm -hmm. had to go to in this country. Because as my dad became more vulnerable with me in terms of his relationship, more and as I've learned either from medical, uh, medical situation or learned through conversation, is what he had to do just to survive whether he had a family or not. So saying, was he ready to have a family? No, because the whole race had not been prepared to have a family. The way we lived, the way that we learned, did not allow us to be able to experience that intellectually like we do understand it today. Okay, so I'm looking at when the times that I came up, the times that we've gone through, we are just now getting to the point where we're celebrating Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. I've known about Juneteenth for years. Right. This has been a part of our culture for years. Mm -hmm. But I was at work the other day when in actuality, we had a whole hour and a half dedicated to Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. That's not a question, yeah. but that I'm just like, like, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, not I a think, question. But I think yeah. you, you kind of, and I'm glad you said that because that's kind of where I was going with this whole idea of what fatherhood is supposed to look like and what a well-fathered community looks like with other dads because a lot of it has been based off of like a white western model right, exactly. right and a white western perspective which has never really worked with our community because we're african people and that's just not historically who we've been in this country or in any other country fathers have very different roles outside of the united <laughs> states like you know as black and african people in the diaspora um and so so I think that that's also something we have to really look at. Like, yeah. this whole white Western view of like fatherhood, is that really something that even works for us or has it worked against us? I don't know. It's just a question. But to your point, we do have to look at the system because how can, like as a, as a black man, I can't imagine having to be responsible for taking care of like myself and an entire family when I go out into the world and I'm treated like a child. Like psychologically, that's not going to help me to feel my most masculine black male self, right? That's going to completely just annihilate me. And so how do we expect black men to show up um, as the leaders of their communities and as fathers? And kudos to the ones that have in spite of it. Like I give them a tremendous amount of credit all the time to brothers who have been able to sort of resiliently overcome a lot of that because it, because because the, the system has been designed for them to not even be in that position um but i think to your point it does create this dynamic where there's just a lot of relationship issues between black men and women that do stem from the system and unless we look at the system as sort of the underlying root cause we're just going to keep blaming each other and we're not going to get anywhere so Brittany and Carla, that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Let's unpack some of this. It's true, though. What's in your cup? Yeah. <laughs> there was consistency, you know, with my stepfather being there, having a roof, having food. Um, but like you said, it's an understanding of what really constitutes being well-fathered. 
and all of the emotional, spiritual, psychological components, all of that matters. So um, I'd have to say a little bit of yes and no, but I think that a lot of what has come to me was from my mother and she instilled a lot of that into me. So there wasn't really that, uh, that presence. And for me, I would always want someone that looked like me to be that influence. And unfortunately, my, my stepfather, you know, he doesn't reflect what I see within myself. Mm -hmm. So it was harder for me to receive messages from him. Yes. But, um, but yeah, I totally agree with you, Ashley. It's, it's systemic that, and what has happened is we as women have had to step up and we're operating in our masculine energy. And so moving yeah. forward in dating life, it's, it's harder for us to operate in our feminine energy and allow men to be men because it's been programmed in us that, you know, we have to be hyper independent and we have to be able to take care of everything in the household and things like that. So I definitely think that the conversation around community is necessary and us coming together and not allowing what has been programmed into us and systematically to allow us to just continue to be at odds with each other. We have to find unity. I'm always going to be go to bat for the man that looks like me, but regardless of the emotional trauma, you know, the physical trauma, whatever it is, I'm always going to go to bat and protect them because right. I feel that that's my duty yes. as, a, as a woman of color. And unfortunately, it's not always the case from their perspective. But again, there are so many things that they are challenged with right. mentally that we can't even address. And they, they were conditioned to not even talk about right. what's going yes. on with them internally. So we're just piling on layers and layers of trauma on top of the burden of having to protect your family. So I think that the conversation around community is, is what we really need to focus on. Agreed. Carla, what's in your cut? Well, um, Thanks, especially this Father's Day without my dad being here, I mm -hmm. this is, you know, Father's Day is always, um, you know, it's really touching, but I would say some yes, some no, um, you know, being honest, but I would say my dad was mostly consistent. Um, he was nurturing, um, he was forward thinking, you know, he still, he empowered us, my sister, myself. You know, girls can do whatever they want to do, you know, try things that, you know, try different skills, try different interests. Um, you know, I wish I could have seen more, but he's trying to provide for the family. Um, but I felt loved. I felt his presence when he wasn't there. Um, he was honest about dating and men, pretty much. There were some surprises, but um, I don't think he wanted to tell us everything. Um, but I, I felt loved. He was there for our events, and um, you know, I was—he was a perfect daughter dad for us. That's good. Oh, that's yeah. good. How is this? How has your relationship with your father affected your romantic life, just in general? Um. Hmm. Well, I guess. My dad was my first role model for male-female relationships, so um, 
I guess my dad took a lot of time with us. He would actually take my sister and I out. Um, we did a lot of activities together. So going into dating, I did expect a lot of attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I expected boys to open the door and to, I expect a lot of attention and I had to kind of, you know, every, everybody's different. Right. And I had to realize, you know, people have different styles and I had to kind of look at my expectations, not lower them, but just look at people have different, um, you know, ways of being and just look at that and, you know, share my expectations and just balance and, you know, look at what I want and just work that out in relationships. It's funny you mentioned you expected a lot of attention. I did. I didn't have any expectation. I had no idea. <laughs> I'm like completely blank slate. I had like this romantic, and I still do this from time to time, like this romantic idea of what a relationship looks like, maybe based off the of TVs and movies. Yeah. But Beauty that was. The Beast or Cinderella. Right. Cinderella. <laughs> but I never thought about, oh, he has to pay me attention. He has to buy me things. Matter of fact, it was my mom who, and we were probably teenagers at the time, who had to tell us, like, you know, you're supposed to let the guys open the door for you, right? <laughs> like, this is his job. You have to let him do this. And it was completely foreign to me because, again, we grew up in a house full of women and we had to do everything. So I have no idea what that's like. (laughs) But, um, yeah, interestingly enough, when it comes to me picking partners, I always pick the guys who are usually fun. They're funny. They're usually outgoing. They love to socialize. They're athletes. I don't know what that's about. (laughs) But those are the guys that I've typically chosen. However, I have also noticed this not only within myself, in romantic relationships but with the men that I choose there is always issues with communication in the sense where I always have that expectation kind of like you mentioned earlier where okay it's just about time for them to leave and disappear Mm -hmm. because that was my experience growing up with my dad is he was there for a few years and then he was just gone Mm -hmm. no no explanation just we're looking for him one day and he just moves to Florida like that's that's what happened and so when I'm in romantic relationships, I'm constantly just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm like, all right, this ain't gonna last too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I'm waiting for them to disappear or ghost me. It's a horrible cycle. Self-sabotage. <laughs> right, it is, it's yeah. self-sabotage. Yeah. And it's hard to break, but yeah. Well, I think starting with recognition makes it easier to start the pathway or the journey to being able to break it because um, I'm in a relationship now and it's extraordinary to me. Um, it's extraordinary in the sense that he has a lot of the similarities that my dad has. Um, career focus, um, sense of family, uh, pride in community and self, a lot of volunteerism. As my dad was one that was a member of the community, of his church, of his fraternity of the military, right? Very communal. And he's in the same way. But the most distinguishing measure of difference that I see in my past relationships was his thoughtfulness about who I am as a person. Am I good? Am I okay? Am I, you know, wanting to make sure that everything is fine with me? That is so new and so refreshing that, I mean, in the most minute things, if something breaks, he ha- and I go, oh, I broke that. 
I'm not gonna, I'm not even thinking about replacing it. He replaced it. And it's not financial, it was the thought. Mm -hmm. He is also a heavy gift giver too. Yeah, but, <laughs> and he also, um, you talk about being polite. Um, it's easy for him to say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, oh, did I, oh, I did that, oh, I'm sorry. Um, or opening the doors. That opening the doors, I remember on one of our, I think it was the very first, no, second day, that I jumped out of the car and not let him come around to open the door. And when I got back in the car, he said, I would have opened the door for you. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, okay, you're, you're using that male air. It's just come out because I'm accustomed to doing that. Mm -hmm. I'm accustomed to opening my door. So now I've learned to sit and wait. And he will always open the door. And it's always, I'll carry that. I'll take care of this. Don't worry about that. And that's what's, that's how my dad was probably with my mom. But oh, they didn't share the intimacy in front of us kids. Because I'm sure that my dad took care of the car. My dad took care of this and my dad, I saw certain things, you know, when they were together. But that's been a noticeable difference in my romantic life. Nice. And I don't plan on going anywhere. I don't blame you. I don't plan on going You're not anywhere. going back. <laughs> I'm not going back to the other side. I like the side that I'm on. So a lot of my romantic life, probably up until maybe the last last couple of years has been attracting a lot of men that um, did what I was fearful of, which is abandoning me. Um, it took me a long time to figure out why I kept attracting that. Same. Um, <laughs> and so I had to really do a lot of, and I still am doing a lot of self-work around trying to not see all men that way or trying not to make that assumption, which is very hard. Um, I still have moments where I get triggered because I'm in a relationship right now that's very new. Um, and I'm starting to really learn and understand that he and I are just different for just because men and women are different, right? And so, and I'm learning to sort of lean back and really trust him a lot more to show up instead of having like a preconceived idea of what showing up is supposed to look like. Um, and being able to receive how he shows up. And it does, there's moments where it feels good and then there's moments where it feels uncomfortable, but I know that this comfort is just part of like my own stuff that I have to work on. Um, but for the most part, I really value and appreciate him. Um, and really value and appreciate the fact that like he's a very nice person, he's very respectful. He's always looking for ways to take care of me or do something for me to make my life less stressful, which I've never experienced before. Um, like just recently, my car like completely died and he said, oh, I'll help you find another one or I'll help you try to find a way to sell it. Like I didn't even have to ask him for help. And I'm just not used to that. I'm not used to someone offering to help me or to make my life easier. Um, and it feels good. It's just, I'm trying to, I guess, get used to it yeah. in, a, in a good way. Um, but I also appreciate the fact that, like, he has three kids from a previous marriage that he's incredibly, incredibly dedicated to. Like, 
He, do you think that has just, an influence? Yeah. Sorry, do you think that has an influence over why you also chose him too? Not necessarily. Um, I think I admire that about him, but that's not why I chose him. We have a lot of other interests. Like we went to the same college. We have okay. the same interests in music. We have similar views on politics and family values. Our family values are actually really, really connected because our family dynamics are very similar and he's very close to his family. Um, but, but yeah, so it's, so I feel like it's an interesting process being with him, whereas like the last few men that I've been with, I always felt like I had to be in control and I had to run everything to keep them from abandoning me, but they ended up doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. So I had to accept that like it doesn't matter what I do or how I show up or how I play this romantic role as like a girlfriend or a wife based on television or like bullshit fairy tales that we need to stop telling girls, but that's a whole nother story. I have to just be my most authentic self and either someone's going to love me or they're not. And if they don't, that's on them. Um, and it's an, it's an easier said than done thing because you constantly have to work on the messages you tell yourself every day. And it's hard. Like there's some days where I feel good and there's some days where I'm too hard on myself. But at least I'm aware of it and I constantly have to just work on it and just know that I deserve to receive love in this way. And I guess that's the best way I can say it, that I deserve to receive love in this way and just accept it for what it is and take it as a gift. Agreed. Yeah. I have been lucky in the arena for the most part in terms of having a long-term relationship. Now, have there been problems in my relationships? My two most significant relationships that I've had, well, three actually in terms of long-term. You know, I was married to uh, Willis, you guys don't know about Willis, but he was friend, he was Willis. friends with uh, your dad. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I have heard. You know, and that was for a couple of years, but I was very young. You know, but we we had a relationship. I mean, it lasted probably three years. You know, and then uh, I met Paul when I was attending college. You know, and that that lasted almost twenty years, I guess. Let's see. No, let's see, make it a, yeah, or yes, about twenty years, and then I've been with Bo almost twenty years. So, I think that probably just maybe comes from my mom being just being in a long-term relationship. That's just what I saw and that's what I thought should be. And that's yes. what's happened. And I, yes. I noticed that's the same thing with my girls. They just, you know, it's just a, a role that they, they've observed. And so um, I don't know if that has anything to do with my dad because my mom and dad divorced when I was 10, you know, but he was there until I was 10. I was actually nine. They got, they, got, they separated when I was nine. But then she met Johnny a couple of years later and she was with Johnny. So yeah, I've seen her in these long-term committed relationships. And so that's what's my role. Um, so I think there's a lot of variables that come into play in terms of the impact that you have on your relationship. So it's not just the relationship you have with your father, obviously. It's the relationship that you are brought up in. I was brought up in a two-parent family oh, yeah. yes. all of my life. That's going to make a huge yeah. difference. So whether their relationship was good or bad, that's just what I saw, and right. that's what I modeled. And that's what a relationship looks like. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's worked for me, but, um, and I thank God every day for that. You know, but it doesn't mean, like I said, it doesn't mean that I don't have, prob I have, don't have problems in relationships. But I think things also change, too, when you get older. The older you get, the more you decide 
where you're going to draw the line in the sand, okay? Yes. What, you're, heard, what you're going to accept boundaries. and what you're not going to accept. Because you realize that you can do it by yourself or you can do it with somebody else. Exactly. And when you can relay that to your partner on a consistent basis, mm -hmm. either you get it together or we don't need to be together mm -hmm. because you know especially the older you get you realize that life is short mm -hmm. i'm not yeah. going to spend another 10 years dealing right. with this <laughs> the best thing is the person has to be your friend they yeah, really right. have to be your friend especially i think as you get older yeah it was different you know with me and paul because we had a commonality we had you know i had i had well i had kids mm -hmm. so that was our life raising right. megan and celeste you know but now when you get older you have to be a friend with the partner that you have. Oh, yes. Yes. Because, you know, if you're not friends, it, I, I don't care. Nice. You, can, you might right. stay in that relationship because that's what you've seen, mm -hmm. but that's not really what you want to do. Right. Yes. Because you'll wake up one day and you'll just be old with this person you don't even like. Right. 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 Not a good thing. Yes, that's <laughs> true. Or at least from my perspective, I always chosen partners who I kind of admire. Like they have a quality that I kind of also wish I had. Mm -hmm. okay. And I yes. find myself being attracted to that too. Right. Yes. Like, like because I'm usually pretty quiet when I first meet people and it takes me a long time to warm up to them. So it's like and when I see a guy who's just outgoing and he just talks to everybody and he's mm -hmm. just friendly, I'm like, wow. Like that's amazing. I wish I could do that. Right. So like your papa was when he was younger? <laughs> your dad, your your papa was oh very, very gosh. outgoing. Yeah, he could talk to anybody. Yes, all of them still does. Still does. But I, you know, that's but what I, I do. Yeah. I, I like. I find myself being attracted to guys and being in romantic relationship with guys who I have, have qualities that I honestly one hundred percent admire mm -hmm. and kind of want to develop. So in a way, I'm looking for somebody who's also going to be a teacher to me in a mm -hmm. weird sense. No, that's a good thing too, though. It's, yeah. not, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, you know. But Brittany, how about you? Um, so I would say that I've had to do a lot of work because I suffered from um, anxiety and depression. I was in a lot of relationships with men that had walls up because I had my own walls up. And it wasn't until I started doing the work on me that I was able to attract someone that reflected the peace and the healing that um, I had been doing for myself. So... Um, Right now, I'm in a really great space with my partner um, and being able to communicate where I'm at and genuinely have an understanding of where we are individually has really made for me to have better relationships with men and being able to not focus on the toxicity. And because I know that I was in relationships with men where I was, they were, I was projecting a lot of the things that I was suffering from onto them. Right. And what was happening was they were manifesting those same qualities. Mm. But to your point, Janelle, I have I was attracted to men that were opposite of me as well. Mm -hmm. But there were also those toxic traits that I had within myself that I hadn't started doing work on that would really be highlighted once the relationship had got going. And I was a serial, I'm a serial monogamous too. So I like being in relationship, <laughs> you know, and also being a sapiosexual, wanting to be attracted to someone that can teach me something that has some intelligence and, you know, those types of things. But it really came down to me doing the self work hmm. to being able to actually see and identify what it was that I needed in a partner and figuring out where those bands where those boundaries are for myself and being able to know like this is something that I'm gonna be able to get through this is something that I'm not gonna be able to get through and really knowing knowing me and what it is that I want.
celebratory discussion uh, during Father's Day weekend, today being Saturday and tomorrow being Father's Day. And what I've learned from all of you are new things that I didn't think about in terms of relationship, in terms of fatherhood. And um, I hope that what we've said today will impact others. And each one of you has impacted me in a certain way. And I hope that we can do the same. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So, All what's right. in your cup? What's in your cup? Cheers, ladies. Cheers. Cheers. Till next time. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. 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 All the dads. Okay. Love you. Okay. okay. So, That's are you saying cut? Cut. Okay. <laughs> so, here's, yeah, here's what I'd like to do. All right. Thank you, Phil. Good to see everyone. Oh, yeah, I'd like to do this.